Welcome to the Small Machine Talks, a conversation about literature and art, about duende and queerness and coping and tea, border blur and misfits and community, secret places, ragged edges. Angel House Press. I'm your host, Amanda Earle. Welcome to the Small Machine Talks. I'm Amanda Earle. This is episode 98. This is our first episode of 2023. And our first guest of the new year is Karenjeet Sandhu. Welcome, Karenjeet. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really so honored to be invited to talk about my work. So thank you. Thanks for being on, on the show. And this is great. This is my first time uh, having any kind of a uh, personal meeting with you we've we've communicated in email for a few years now through because especially because of judith so uh, this is nice to uh, get the chance to uh, talk to you absolutely i know because we've had so many email exchanges <laughs> and uh, you've always been so lovely and warm but it's Likewise. so nice now to actually have a live conversation back and forth like this it feels like such a treat so it, thank you yeah thank you <laughs> it feels like a treat to me too i'm going to on the show notes afterwards i'll post the um your uh, the link tree to your work and also uh, to the book we're going to be or the work we're going to be discussing today so um i guess first of all uh let's Let's introduce lis- listeners to you. So what would you like listeners to know about you? Mm, so I, gosh, uh, I'd say I'd start off by talking about poetry, really, and how for the last 20 years or so I've been writing poetry. Um, I began thinking about found language, cut up techniques in my poems. That's where it, where I sort of started. And then very quickly, I moved to thinking about writing for performance. So that's writing for performance on the page in the context of artist books, which we may come on to later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then thinking about writing for performance off the page. And that's when I'd say in the last 12 12 years, my practice has moved more into this interdisciplinary space where I'm starting to think about um, performance in terms of costumes, sound recordings, uh, ready-made, handmade objects and film. Um, I've also done some collaborations as well. They've formed a really important part of my practice. I've collaborated with fellow poet Ryan Ormond. Um, We've produced and choreographed um, film poetic films together um, and also my partner Christopher Sarantis who's helped me immensely with developing sound recordings that accompany um, my my written work. Um, also collaborations with with publishers as well so I've been fortunate enough um, you mentioned Judith to work with Tim Glissett and yourself yeah. um, but also the 87 Press, Guillemot Press um, and Intergraphia Books so yes always keen Collaboration is the word. So always keen to to think about connections with with other writers and artists and practitioners and how that might inform my own work. Great. Yeah, that's there's a lot. There's a lot to talk about there. And and you're based in the UK. So you're uh, just so. Yes. 
some of our listeners might not know that, but uh, so I just wanted to make sure. And and one of the reasons that the, the big reason that I wanted to talk to you, well, I always want to talk to you, but um, um, the big thing was um, this work that you published uh, last year. And I also heard you read from it. I got to hear you read from it as well at the uh, at the Zoom. You did a Zoom uh, reading last year uh, for a Guillemot Press. Yeah. And I, I was there for that. So uh, in fact, I, I think I got the... Uh, the uh, the uh, um, work right after that, so I ordered it right. Oh, after. great! So, yeah, poetic fragments from the irritating archive, and again, we'll have a link to that. So, what would you like listeners to know about about poetic fragments from the irritating archive? Which, first of all, already has a really great title. Even if it was just the title, it would already be intriguing <laughs> as a work. <laughs> yes, the the title I came up with. Uh, I was sort of racking my brains for weeks, months, um, and then I I looked at, at the various parts that I had in front of me, and they all resembled a fragment of some kind. They were all poetry or loosely poetry uh, related, and so yeah, poetic fragments, and then the irritating archive, which is this place of fiction. Um, But the actual collection itself began as a response to a quote from Gertrude Stein. Um, It's from one of her lectures, Composition as Explanation. Um, And in that lecture, Stein states, and I've got the quote here, beauty is beauty, even when it is irritating. Um, So I really loved that idea of seeing beauty in in irritation which often gets aligned with uh, synonyms such as annoyance or anger uh, frustration um so i love taking this more kind of delicate and uh, um appreciating uh, the term itself maybe for some kind of aesthetic sensibility I, I wasn't quite sure um where to take that quote but i did start thinking about irritating art and poetry as a result of it um and you know we may find art and poetry beautiful but what if we also find it irritating what might that look or feel like um i then a few months later started to think well maybe stein here is talking about irritation in a in a mental or emotional context but what if she was also talking about irritation as a physical um uh, physical irritation and uh, in an arts context i then started to consider what a physical irritation might look like um or um what an art object could incite in a, in a viewer or um the audience if they were to come into contact with the with the object itself so there were many stages to thinking it through. So not just emotional or mental irritation, but then physical irritation. Um, and so this idea of a place where art objects could physically irritate visitors um, led to the fiction. So this whole narrative of a fictional archive, the irritating archive, which supposedly houses these irritating artifacts. <laughs> and I decided I was going to be as playful as possible and to really take this idea to to the extreme um and and that's been something I I can play around with in performance for example so I often use the tropes that anyone who's visited an archive library or museum would be familiar with yeah um, and they feature in the text but then they also feature in the performance of the text as well so there's the gloves the hat the apron um and the visitor's map as well um, so yes, yeah, I, I I hope that 
kind of offers a little bit of a, a window into where the beginnings of the project began. And how, um, long, how long did it take you from, from, say, conception to publication, let's say, which is never, an, never a straight line, right? It's, it's up and down and it has pause. Yes. So uh, what, was, what, what, do you, what do you mark as the first thought about an irritating archive? What do you? Mm. Well, that's so. Yeah. Yes, it would have been the quote, but actually, actually, um, I didn't make the connection between irritation and archives. I that quote prompted uh, thoughts around irritation and art objects, or irritation uh, as a result of of reading a poem. So everything was object or text based, but it was seeing um, an art installation by Susan Hiller. Um, uh, from the Freud Museum, where she um, very playfully takes Freud's artefacts from his home um, here in London and then couples them with um, her own objects. Some are, some are handmade, most of them are ready-made, and she puts them in this vitrine and they, it was displayed at the Tate Modern. Um, and I started to think about the way she was archiving and being subversive and provocative through this <laughs> this method, um, and so I then started to think about our ah, archives as a site of of irritation could be an interesting one, and also having visited archives and having to stand there sometimes quite stiff and nervous and wearing the gloves and <laughs> feeling so worried that I'm going to make a mistake or I'm going to cause a mark somewhere that I shouldn't. So all that anxiety bound up in archives, I felt it needed to be released. So I brought the two ideas together at that point. But it did take, it's taken about five years yeah. to get the the um the work actually published in this in this uh, format. So it's been a, a long road, but there now. Well and you must be really I mean it's it's the the publication it's such a beautiful publication. Let, let's explain what happens. First of all, if you if you order this you get uh, from Guillermo Press, you'll get a box which says poetic fragments from the ir irritating archive on the front. When you open it, you get this very, it's, there's, there, there's the first thing you notice is this, this um, very, uh, well, first of all, there's the, there's the, um, there's the tag, there's the, um, there's the tag with your name, with your signature, which is nice. That's, that's very nice, but it's an archivist tag basically, right? It's the kind yeah. of thing you, you find in, in archival materials. And then this very soft, um, leather bound book called Archivist Notes, which just feels so good right away. And you could just assume that that is all there is in the book and be mm. in the box and be completely happy as I was. And then I thought, wait, <laughs> I think there might be more in this box. <laughs> and then, and then there's, there's this really lovely packing material. I don't know if it's the same in every every yeah. order but I love this I even love the packing material it's like this sort of um little sh shred long shreds of gray paper that go with the gray color of the box in the front it feels like every detail has been really carefully and and caringly thought out so then beneath there there are there are I guess three other things there's the um there's the another envelope with um a nice uh string around it so you open that and you get you get photos, you get uh, 20 photos, which we'll talk about. And then there's a visitor's book with this beautiful artwork on the front, another hardbound called case bound, which I found interesting. I have I went on a bit of a rabbit hole with the word case bound because I'd never heard it before and found right, out yeah. 
we we say hard hardcover or hard but but I mean these um these kind of uh, like the, the the sort of the size of the archivist notes is like a, a notebook you'd find in me I don't know but I don't know anything about archival work at all but I can imagine like field notes little books you might take with you um you know say you're on a field trip and you have to write notes like it's something you would put in a, in a pocket or something like that but the visitor's book is is a larger book and then there's the fold out uh, map and the list of instructions i mean the whole thing is just so absolutely um it's enchanting as i say it's enchanting to that even that discovery of just going through each part of the of the work and seeing how you approach the whole concept in different ways, but also with some recurring. I mean, just it was it was a real pleasure. It was a real pleasure to. Uh, oh, that's so great to hear because it's you know I I owe so much to Guillemot Press for bringing their vision to it because I turned up um, at their door with a manuscript um, and some photographs that I'd taken of these so-called objects um, and then presented it to them and had an idea that I wanted it to be in a box, but I hadn't really thought through. The, the the two different books that that might be present there the archivist notes the visitors book um how the photographs might be presented in this little document wallet as well and then the potential for having a fold out map so all of these ideas came from this back and forth um wow. discussion with with Luke Thompson and Sarah Cave at Guillemot so um, I owe a lot to them <laughs> Do you have have they done because uh, I was looking on their site and I, I couldn't I, I only I had a chance to look through the poetry part. Have they done things like that before? Do you know if they've done other projects that are similar? I saw there was an art section. Yeah, so I I know that they've um, do lots of work with illustrators. Yeah. Um, so, for example, they have I think they have worked on other um, box work um uh publications artist books um and have done limited edition runs um but they also um have a group of illustrators that um come on board and and respond to the work and that was something that is also unique to this mm. so antonia glucksman who's yeah. an illustrator based in cornwall she has uh produced you. these lovely little drawings especially yeah. in the visitors book um, that look like sort of stamp rubbings as well. They're they're quite extraordinary, um, and so it was lovely having an an artist then respond to the materials within the box, as well as as uh, the, uh, the publishers bringing their own vision for for the kind of the three D nature of, of of the entire thing. Um, and the other thing that they do, which was my reason for for hoping that they might take this project on, is that they're very concerned with paper and materiality and using mm -hmm. recyclable um, materials as well, sustainable materials. So they work with um, printers out in Cornwall um, who have uh, carefully sourced that that lovely soft cover for for the archivist notes and even the the foil. Um, blocking and embossing on the books as well um it's all been done locally so there's a lot of attention to detail that's gone into it and I think many people have played a part along the way so that's yeah. fantastic that that's that's a that's a, a writer and creator's dream come true right that, that exact yes. relationship is is what you even I, I've been sort of racking my brain about similar Canadian experiences here. And I I have to say, I don't know of any. The closest I can come is um, 
I think a BP Nickel book, The Cosmic Chef, that was in the book. Oh. But I mean, I haven't looked at that. I looked at that in the Ottawa Public Library in the in the section where you can't take things out. So I don't know. I don't remember anything. But I really don't know. As far as po- some artists, there are artist books. We'll we'll talk about that in a in a minute. Uh, but um, for with poets do, uh, involved in artist books, uh, it's it's kind of something I don't see very much of. So. Mm. We'll talk about that. Yeah. In uh, in Judith Women Making Visual Poetry, Astro Papa Christodolo n- names you as one of her influences. So she's inspired by the way in which materiality and texture interact with text in your work. I I, I have to say that was my introduction to your work. So I was uh, the book uh, it, on so many levels. The book helped me because I I learned all, about all kinds of amazing uh, visual women visual poets. Yeah women making visual poetry so so this was fantastic for me and you were one of the ones I was thrilled you know I was thrilled over everyone's work and and uh so uh yeah so she she was says she's inspired by in by the way uh materiality and texture interact with text in your work and obviously they do uh, come into play in texture in, in fragments can you can you talk about, about that yeah absolutely I mean firstly thank you so much for for welcoming my work into Judith I mean congratulations on that but I mean what a feat that is um the the yeah just the range of 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 writers and artists and practitioners in there is is phenomenal and I often go to that book when I'm teaching so thank you (laughs) I was uh, we were again that was another example of a really great collaboration between you Akeem and and Tim Glassett and all of the and the visual poetry community at large and other like it was a huge collaboration and artists and and publishers and just uh massive I'm surprised it only took the few years that it took really I know I know exactly to bring that many people together into one work it's what a feat yes so (laughs) thank you um so (laughs) With regards to the materiality uh, and texture question, um, with this particular project, um, I started to think about materiality and texture in relation to language itself. So starting um, maybe quite simply here, uh, the language that's used throughout the the poems uh, makes reference to various kinds of, of materials um, there are allergens. There's things such as cat hair, glass, uh, sorry, grass, latex, mold, dust that gets mentioned and featured throughout. Um, that that materiality is important to the language within the text, but also how it's then presented in order to create texture. So one of the the little fragments is the rules and regulations, which has text that moves from lowercase to uppercase. Um, there's these interruptions or these ruptures that visually form on the page a bit like skin that might be irritated and you might get these mounds or hives that form on the skin or skin welts. So I was trying to think about paper skin as I was writing um, and and playing around with the the visual movement of of words on the page. Um, And then more importantly, the the third case of, of materiality and texture came through in the making of the objects. Um, So we've got um, an an art object which exists um, in this archive, which is called Cluster of Words. And it's an accumulation of these archival tags, layer upon layer. Um, The costumes as well, there's the archivist's hat, which I wear in the performance. Um, There's three different aprons um, that are worn by the archivist and then the visitors. 
And I started to then at that point become more interested in how the materiality of these objects could irritate my live performances, how they might disrupt them. Um, so, for example, the, the layering of the archival tags, I try and read from that object in my performance and it's an absolute nightmare. I can't quite get the words out uh, uh, to, to view. And so my reading is constantly being ruptured and interrupted as I try and quickly scan through the words. Um, the hat that I wear, the, the ribbons fall all into my um the archival tag scrape and and rub against my forehead so there, there became these bigger considerations at play as soon as i moved into thinking perhaps how i might perform alongside these these works um and and then how they irritate me as the performer and i imagine for the audience as well they experience irritation because they just can't quite grasp what's being said. Um, and my movements are, are quite haphazard at times as well. And um, yes. I, I remember I was, I was quite uh, thrilled by it. I was, I was, uh, I wasn't irritated at so much as happy about the mischief, you know, <laughs> it felt like mischief making to me. And we're, that's everything yeah. that, uh, that we can talk about. In your statement in Judith, you talk about your first encounter with concrete poetry, procedural poetry, artist books, and text-based art. You say there was something confrontational, rebellious, and naughty about these poetic and artistic genres. I love that, first of all. Uh, I feel that in fragments as well, those adjectives can apply. And, and for me, when I'm working on a project um, where I'm exploring or questioning a literary convention, I feel excited when I feel like I'm getting away with something. And I feel like this is what you're doing here. I feel like you're getting way with something here with this with this uh with these fragments both the performance and the way it's presented and and the the content itself um so uh, uh would you how would you say fragments fit in with the confrontational rebellious and naughty mm, i think so much of that is bound in the fact that I'm feigning authenticity all the way throughout <laughs> you know I'm, I'm making these statements that for example, you know, the, this section opens with this is the, the visitor's uh, map on the reverse of it. Um, it actually clearly states, welcome to the irritating archive in the event of an emergency, leave by the nearest exit. And then what follows is this history of when it was founded, where the materials come from, um, and then these stipulations and rules for the visitors um, to wear closed-toe shoes, make sure their hair's tied back, they must wear the gloves and apron provided, um, the emergency exits are clearly marked, there's this heightened sense that this is a dangerous space that you're entering. Yeah. Um, and it, it's it, it I, from when, when I've performed it, people are often like, God, that was that was, uh, you know, it felt really familiar. It felt really real because of my experience of being in an archive. But also it was like this this more um, extreme um, version of what an archive could possibly be. It was quite harrowing. Um, and so I'm, I'm constantly playing with what I've come to learn is this term called parafiction. So things being presented as real, but actually are, are the work of fiction. And they sit in this kind of liminal state on that border. You're never quite clear, or it's never made clear um, what's what's truth and, and, and what's a falsification. Um, and so the conviction in the performance 
has to be delivered with this deadly serious tone. Um, I often do versions of of this text where I I am the archivist and I'm giving a lecture and and the audience come in and there's a PowerPoint there and and I'm going through all the various different materials and photographs of the objects. Um, And so the viewer is in on the joke though. They are playing along with it. Um, and 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 uh, finding humour in in the subversion of these archival practices that we've either seen in in TV or film play out, or we've actually experienced ourselves by visiting such places. Um, and the the rebellion is is coming through all the time as the as the performer. I'm when I'm performing, I am the archivist, and I make that very clear. Um, and as the archivist, I'll often say things which are then not followed through in my gestures or uh, my behaviour on stage. Um, and also, I think the, the 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 playfulness of it or the naughtiness of it yeah. comes through this idea of of fragmentation and yeah. the fact that you're only ever given fragments. Um, information doesn't exist in this project as a whole. Um, they're just little snippets. You're never yeah. quite sure of of the full story, and you're being invited to come in and maybe fill the gaps as well. Um, and we're only ever experiencing a part of something, and never the whole or complete thing. Yeah, no, I would say I would say that for sure. And then also just the form of it as well. These outboxes uh, yes. kind of. Um, I mean, we we're, when we talk about artist books, it's uh, one of the things about. Um, artist books is they kind of rebel against the whole idea of mass production of work, right? They're usually not going to have thousands of copies made of something like this because it's unless unless we know a really rich uh, publisher, which I don't think either one of us does. If anyone (laughs) does, they should let us know right away, but don't tell anyone else. (laughs) But there's that and also, like I think too, like the um, the way in which you approach meaning as well, like the whole scale for the words of irritation, for instance, that feels like a way to sort of um, to establish authority, right? So it's like I'm you're playing, but you know here's this here's the semantic scale. Like you're using the tools that you know of from your own background to uh, to play with the, with the work and and to engage. Thanks. And in, in something probably a lot of the readers are also familiar with trying to, uh, you know, uh, do these semantic type charts and scales and things to. Um... That's right. Yes. Because there is the measuring tape that's yeah, handmade. That, that and, was great. <laughs> and so that's the it's photographed here in, in, in the box. But these are all one off objects. There's only one of them. And like you say, they're not mass produced. So no. that um, so in some performances, there's very many different versions. But in one version, um, the, the scale comes out and audience members are asked by the archivist to stand up and then they're measured on this irritation scale to see how irritated they are. Um, which is obviously just absurd because the scale Fantastic. is <laughs> Uh, so yeah there were there's a lot to be that what I think I I've enjoyed about this project in particular is that there there seem to be many possibilities for how it could be read how it could be performed Um, and I feel that the project just now you know it's been published but it's still not it's not sitting still it's got this energy and momentum and and um, I'm still figuring out the best way to perhaps uh, convey 
the materials through performance as well. So there's a lot of practice and play still going on. Yeah, no, I, I can believe that. I mean, and there are things that are just like, they are not explainable, right? There's suddenly, there's a, at least to me, um, yeah. suddenly there's a peg doll, you know, like, what? Yeah. What what is it? First of all, what is a peg doll, and why is this peg? You know, like and and it's re- and you go through back and you go through. Is there something about a peg doll in the you know like? And I love that. Like there there are mysteries here, and and they will never necessarily be resolved. And I'm good with that. Like that, but that yeah. is a subversive. That is a subversive. I can't even say the word subversive. Act yeah. to to allow for room for conjuring i think and for imagining for the imagination mm. and i think you've really done that with this work like i really do so it's, oh uh, thank you so much because that a lot of that um that jarring juxtapositions between like you just mentioned the peg doll and then you get the 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 measuring scale the irritation measuring scale um well the irritation measuring scale makes sense some sense yeah. but the peg doll really doesn't and that came from that first work that I mentioned Susan Hiller um, her bringing together uh, some random objects from Freud's office space or his home his lounge with her own found objects and you were never quite clear what that connection was but one of the things she asserted in her artist statement was that she wanted the the viewer to come to these objects and formulate their own narratives around them what might they mean? What stories might come out of this um, for you as, as a viewer? And I loved that involving the viewer and getting them um, engaged and, and thinking about uh, the work. Yeah. Curiosity. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing mm. I would say is I also think that there is there is a, a subversion of linearity as well, because yes. these these books are in in these works are in the in the box. I don't know if they're always in the same order in the boxes either. I don't know if they're all put in the same way, packed in the same way, or even if there were instructions for packaging the books mm. and the work. But I mean, you you don't have to read them in any particular order. They're individual works. You could you could um, you could try to put the photos beside everything. You could lay out all the photos first, and you know you could do all kinds of different things. There's a lot of different ways. There is no prescribed way of reading other than in the individual work. You know the individual works uh, but uh, so that's again I was thinking about Ann Carson's float where she has a bunch of wow. she has a bunch of um, chat books and they're in a plastic box and you or a plexiglass box I don't know a, a see-through box and you can basically you can read them in any order like she doesn't uh, there's no particular order so uh, so I'm writing yeah, I'm that... to... oh go ahead sorry Oh, no, I was just going to say it's such a, a perceptive point about linearity and trying to disrupt that. Um, and uh, yes, it, it, it's not clear that they're, where the pack, they're all packed in the same way. Um, Luke and Sarah uh, decided on, on on the arrangement for each one, I guess. But I do like the idea of thinking that maybe um, there are certain things above the packing material that's not there in another box. And exactly. there might even be, uh, you know, the, the order of the photographs as well might already be out of out of linear uh, numerical order so yes I love that yeah that that to me is 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 kind of uh uh I I just find that really interesting and I, I'm work. I've been working since December I started working on a a kind of a, a hybrid work essay 
visual poems, doodles, uh, prose poems, I don't know, a bunch of different things on time, linearity and narrative. So I've kind of been collecting stuff that has to do with um, with this whole um, idea of um, engagement or or subversion of these things and what is time and, and you know, mm. is time really something that is fixed, you know? So anyway, this kind of this kind of came at that time when I was when I was working on starting to work on that. So it helped to uh, plant the seed, I think, as well. So, <laughs> it's uh, very interesting that about time and, uh, you know, if it's fixed and it, it, how time is being experienced differently, whether you are the reader of the work, the creator of the work, the performer of the work. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I always think about, you know, if I was to read this through in its entirety I probably take me I don't know under an hour but performing it in full hasn't actually been something that's been possible because if I bring in all the objects I think I'd be looking at good sort of half a day if not a full day's worth of materials lecture notes lecture slides Um, so I have been thinking about uh, time and duration as this project might move into a different iteration going forwards um, yeah. and having something that's perhaps rolling on over several days in a particular space that becomes the archive. So yeah, time and artistic practice seem to really go hand in hand, don't they? You've got to sort of think think, think about that um, a lot um, when it comes to, to writing and then, and then actually creating, um, especially with artist books, yeah, no, that's it. Yeah, and and we one of the things I've noticed as I um as I, I I've I've basically set up my year of of guests uh, ahead of time thanks to some um, lovely people who are willing to talk to me about uh, October and November <laughs> and you know why are you talking about that now? Wow. We're gonna have an apocalypse <laughs> before then. But I so I, I one of the things I've noticed is that I was I was sort of planning um. Uh, a, um, a year of um, last year. Last year, we t- I talked to uh, small presses primarily and reading series. So this year, I thought I would talk to sort of I don't know what to call it yet. So we're so it's kind of page adjacent or um, extra lit, sort of extra literary or something like that, or paraliter. I don't know paralit, but I don't know. So I guess that one of the things about this work that uh, made me, uh, made me think of, I think this was the start of my thinking about the things surrounding the page. And in this case, it was how all of this was put together. And the fact that I guess, uh, I don't know, I classify it as a, in my very limited knowledge as an artist book, for sure. I think it's, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's, art uh, in the form of um, well a box which with a lot of books mm. I would call it an artist book and um yeah and I don't I feel like I don't know a lot about artist books but I um I um I looked up and I found I'm going to put I found this uh, link to Canadian women artist books and it said that they push the limits of the traditional book form and are constructing using a wide variety of formats and materials and they first emerged in the 60s and 70s as an expression of social and political activism, a way to talk back to mass production and ma- mass media. So um, they and they've become highly valuable and and, and collectible. And that, I realized, well, maybe that's why I don't have a lot of artist books in my apartment because maybe they're <laughs> and in Canada, the, in Ottawa or in the Ottawa um, region, there's some. Um, I know an artist who um, Michelle Provo, who's probably one of the first. 
people I associate with that term who makes all kinds of great art. And she sometimes uh, works with the book form to uh, to uh, uh, produce them in, in, in limit, very limited editions, sometimes one, even one copy of something. So, yeah. So, yes, so I find artist books to be very interesting. So um, what about you? Do you yes. have any thoughts on the artist book? Art- First of all, oh. is it artists um s apostrophe for the plural or do you do the singular or can you do either because it's very confusing it was confusing in judith we had to do Joachim had yeah. to fix it for the whole book <laughs> what is it artist book with an apostrophe s or s apostrophe we that was one of the many fun editing tasks he had <laughs> here in the uk it often gets the apostrophe comes after the s in artists artist books so I've been using that um when I've been uh thinking about them or writing about them um but I'm so I, I thank you for sharing that link as well to the, the Canadian artist book site I was looking at that earlier today it's, it's and there's some cool, gems yeah. in there yeah, yeah it's really cool and that disrupting the the traditional codex of the book I think is so terribly exciting and is one of the things that has attracted me to um artists such as I was going to mention Lillian Lin who creates these rotating cones which are labeled as as artist books because they've got this this text printed on them Um, and and the way if you stand facing them the way that they open themselves to you or reveal themselves to you is almost like the pages of a book turning so I find it quite interesting to think about where the book might go on to next um and actually when you can no longer come into contact with it and physically hold it and touch it the various kinds of forms that it might take um but i i have some real favorites i mean i've got some uh, some con- uh, contemporary um artists at the moment caroline harris and Bryony hughes um, I think you may have come across Bryony Hughes, but they're doing wonderful work with um, handmade uh, books, which they bind themselves using all kinds of like Japanese binding methods. Mm-hmm. Um, they're so intricate. And Caroline Harris has this beautiful book called Cut, Cut Out Bambi, where she and I've seen her do this. She's individually cut out the shape of Bambi into the book. Um, and you just see this amazing flurry of papers and text um, as you look through the book itself, which is just so, so they're just wonderfully beautiful and delicate and, and quite ephemeral as well. Um, and Bryony Hughes makes her own paper for wow. books, um, which is another discipline in its own right. <laughs> and uh, one of the other artists that I came across um, and, and has become a friend is Alison Gibb, who works with the fold. So actually looking at how paper can be folded without binding to form um, a book. Um, so, yes, there's lots of things I haven't really considered. I've, I've sort of experimented a bit with with books and, and bookmaking. I'm particularly drawn to the, the Constantina yeah. type book and, and the opening yeah. and closing. It's great for performance because you, oh, really? you can yeah. bring it out. Yeah. <laughs> And it could be That's irritating right. if it if it suddenly fell to the floor and you tried to pick it up again, or it would would be also yes. as if it was an actual accordion, right? And then you exactly. someone started playing like a bad accordion playing. Play. Yeah. There's all kinds of possibilities there. There really like, are. 
my friend, the poet and visual poet Susan Connolly makes accordion books and started to do it, I guess, a couple of years ago. And uh, they're beautiful. And she sends me occasionally, she'll send me one. And it's just, uh, it's fantastic. So, or concertina, I guess it depends on you say accordion here. Yeah. They they, re they really are. And it, even the scroll, I think, is is terribly exciting. Um, and, and this yeah. idea of roll, rolling out um, the work, reading from the work. Um, I, I've done something similar like that in performances as well. And um, the, the Constantina, I, I've also worked with that where I've wrapped the book around me. So I've unfolded it and wrapped it. And then I'm trying to unravel it again to read it and parts of the book are, are slipping and tearing and there's all kinds of chaos and fun to be had with the book <laughs> you become an artist book yourself you are a self-artist yeah. book when you when you're doing things like that that is that is yeah. actually in judith I, one of the people i think about is Mado resnick who her work yeah yeah and i think she also introduced me uh She's in Mexico now. She was in Argentina at the time, living in Argentina, where she's from. And uh, the 30,000 uh, uh, artist book that she made. And, and uh, I, I feel like when I was when we were working on Judith, I feel like I was introduced to a lot of artist books at that point. And I hadn't even I barely heard the term here. I, I don't know. Um, much about I have to say in the, the course of the year it will be part of it will be there'll be other other types of uh, subjects too but part of it will be an investigation into the artist book and uh, so uh, we'll see yes I absolutely make, yeah I make things like books of whimsy and stuff there was one year where I made oh. like books of whimsy and I, I did a lot of doodles with paint and and different things and I'm not really you know I don't like I'm not a very good drawer but I did these things and you know they involved poems and and writing and, and collages and things like that and I would give them to friends so there'd be an edition of one there would be no other copies of that one sometimes I might scan them but mostly I didn't so I just let that so that is the only copy of the of the uh of the book did you make a did you make a run of those like was there a, a, yeah, a I, multiples I, or yeah I did what mm. I did is I did like um I can't remember how many I did because it took me time to do them but I had the first edition I think I did make I don't remember how many I did but it wasn't it was maybe 10 or so but or 12 right. and I gave each and they were all each one was different and I gave them out to friends so that was it though they have the only copy of that one so that's uh I love that. I love when they're you know they're really limited edition runs like that, and then you you know that copy number three, so and so has that one. Copy number four, it's great. Yeah, it was fun, and I I remember I wrote down the materials as well. I wrote down kind of the, all the materials. So the, I was thinking about that when you when I was reading, especially the uh, the backs of the photographs and the descriptions of each of and yes. all of the materials. That was another part of the materiality that was impressive to me too. That all of the uh, all of the materials are listed, you know, which is which is fantastic. Mm. And, you and that was, yeah, that was really important because of the whole nature of the archive and the way that things might get documented in that particular site. So trying to to make a record of that um, felt quite important to that fi fictional narrative. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about, and, and it occurs especially in the um, archivist notes, but elsewhere too, is uh, the body that recurs throughout the word, the, 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 mm. the, the, the words, the body and, and the concept of the body. Yeah. 
Mm, yeah, I mean, body is absolutely vital uh, to 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 this project and this idea of irritation, physical irritation. Um, so when thinking about you know the the very word irritation it, it, and me moving away from Stein's um, emotional um, uh, uh, mental irritation that she's perhaps alluding to in, in that quotation, I started to think about physical manifestations of irritation. So the body had to come into that. Um, but also when the idea of the archive came to be, bodies moving in and out of this space became very important. Um, the movements that of the archivist, the movements of the visitor documenting their visit in the archivist's notes and the visitor's book became really important, as did the map so that readers could perhaps visualize where you may enter and the various different rooms that are available to you. Um, and so I just found these ideas kept growing because I then started to think when I was working on the map of the body of the building mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the very architecture of, of this, this building that houses all these works. And then it became, well, the body of work that's within yeah. the archive. Um, and then in, in, in the closing poem of the archivist notes, there's references to body of thought, body of knowledge, body of research. Um, and it was important to me that all references to body were just body so that it could be anybody. It was meant to be very open, non-specific. Um, any reader who encounters it is, is just to, to see bodies of of their own or bodies of any kind here present um there is a darker side yeah. that that came out in the writing of the work though and i would say this is in the poem lost souls which is in the archivist notes mm -hmm. which is looking at pain inflicted on bodies so not just through irritation but um also um through uh injury from one person to another, um, uh, death, harm, all sorts of things were happening in that poem because Lost Souls is um, uh, from found material um, and it's looking at uh, people who went missing over the course of a year. And so there's a, a footnotes that go with it, these references that um, every time the body is mentioned or a location is mentioned, you get the, ge the geography of where that person went missing. Um, so this idea of loss and pain seemed to be something that I kept circling to as I was writing the work. Um, and it, it's it's very present in that poem, but also in some of the other language that appears in the visitor's book and some of the experiences that I, I refer to there. Yeah, it was a very strong part. And I have to admit, when I read that and I saw the gloves, I was thinking forensics. I was thinking. Yes. Well, so again, the mind goes off in these very. But the footnotes were another um, interesting part of the work, those footnotes and the way in which. Uh, there was movement, like the body was in one place and then another and another, different bodies, but they were, it was a, a one body in a way moving through these different places that were even, there was even one in, in Oshawa, which is of course in, in Ontario, which yes. is not Ottawa, but Oshawa, which is a, a place uh, near Toronto, a city, a small city near Toronto. So I was like, Oshawa, what's that doing there? Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> as a reference to a body that was, uh, was, uh, was, yeah. Uh, so, yeah.
So it's all over. So there, there's that. And I, I, I'd say that could also be as part of the uh, naughty, rebellious and confrontational, perhaps a little confront, not, very lightly confrontational, but it's a mention of, of um, uh, treatment of uh, and, and pain. And, you know, so I think that's there. Too. That's right. Yes, because the 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 allergens that feature throughout. Yes, that's referring to, you know, um, uh, the 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 pain, the discomfort that's inflicted on individuals who have allergies, and also the horrible extreme of that, which can be death. Um, and so death inevitably seemed to be in the air. It was it was it was um, a not very nice part of of having to deal with with this project but it felt like a really important one and one that couldn't be um, ignored and so with lost souls it was really about bringing that together um, and and perhaps uh, in a way drawing attention to um, these lives that are lost um, Mm -hmm. as as a result of of pain caused by other bodies I was thinking about the and you you define archive as well in the in the fold out um, in the introduction in the in the in the fold out uh, sheet uh, history rules and regulations and how the word has changed uh, from mm. uh, from uh, you know that that was that was a really interesting part too and I was just thinking about how an archive archivist is really uh, uh, finding and then preserving the work of those mm. who are no longer with us right so there is. Yes. Uh, sad about that in a way but also mm. um you know hopeful because that means sometimes that this the person is still remembered so it mm. is almost in a way that maybe there is a little bit of an elegiac quality to this I was thinking mm. that's a lovely idea yeah and I think that I, I hadn't actually put that all together but um mm. I'm wow that's such a, a, a wonderful reading of it and I'd I'd love for it to be read like that Oh, that's 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 a that's a possibility. Uh, can you talk about any forthcoming projects or readings? And we'll share that information in the show notes as well. Ah, oh, that'd be wonderful. Yes. So um, I've got a forthcoming pamphlet with um, uh, a new uh, publisher based here in the UK, Intergraphia Books. Right. Um, and that pamphlet is titled Baby 19. Baby and it's 19? exploring Baby 19. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um it's actually um well the title actually comes from this study that was conducted in uh, America in the 60s on on babies uh, there were 20 babies that were examined and it was baby 19 who showed apparently showed early signs of anxiety so the the pamphlet is exploring um anxiety uh, body image in a, in a world which is fixated on, on, on documentation of the body and the self. So it's part visual and then it is partly text-based too. Um, and it's really, it is a textual performance as well. So there is a, a paper-based object. It's a costume really that goes with the text wow. that um, I, I wear in, in, in readings from the work. So <laughs> yes, um, and then images from that um costume are are featured in the book as well so um it, it is it is documented there um and then really there's there's a new piece of work that I'm I'm still I'm still devising I'm working on it at the moment and this is in response to um an exhibition that we had here at the Barbican this was Carolee Schneeman um and we 
have been, uh, I say we, I've been collaborating with my partner, uh, Christopher Sarantis, on an audio um, the, a piece of work, which has, uh, again, the paper-based objects are really important and costume as well. So, yeah, I, 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 I want to, to focus more, I think, going forwards in, in paper-based materials whether that's book form or or um the objects or costumes that i wear in performance and and really thinking about how i utilize them and, and choreograph them in in a more performative context so yeah that's that's what i think i'm i'm going to be focusing on in the next few months sounds sounds absolutely fascinating i can't wait to hear i can't wait to see the results of those and and they sometimes these things take a while so i i won't say come on when's this stuff coming up you know, yeah. we'll, be, we'll be patient and wait for that all right well my my the la- thing i like to do if i if i can is to is to read a, a note of praise so i have a note of praise about uh about poetic fragments from the irritating archive that i will now i will now read that I've, I've made, okay. Opening the box offers one delight and surprise after another. The way in which each part is presented, the material, the packing material, the different shapes, textures, and sizes, and the content of the work, even the concept itself to archive what is irritating, and the way in which Karen Jeep engages with language is fascinating and unique, moving from the history of archive itself to the definition of irritation and its place on a semantic scale of anger to examples of irritation and an invention of an archive. This invention is a subversive act, questioning and exploring the concept of how history is remembered and who is charged with its remembering. The work is whimsical and significant. It goes in many directions, from performance to to installation, to poetry and replication of different types of printed matter. It is a three-dimensional wonder. Thank you so much. So <laughs> that is so beautifully written. Thank you. Um, just to have somebody respond to your work like that. I can't thank you enough, Amanda, for the time and energy and enthusiasm that you've you've given to this project. Well, thank you for uh, for uh, creating the work. And of course, it's got my brain thinking in all kinds of directions. So that's that's the best thing a a writer, a creator can do, right? Is to inspire more more creations of themselves and of others. So I I thank you for that. So thank you for being on the show. Thanks to Jennifer. A pleasure. And and thanks to Jennifer Peterson for the intro and outro, and to Charles Earl for processing, and to everyone who's uh, listening and sharing the episodes each month. I, I also want to mention that we have our crowdfunding campaign. It's going to be starting soon. Um, I will post the link in the show notes as well. And I've got a lot of, um, we've got a lot of really great uh, perks from publishers. And also we have the call for submissions for nationalpoetrymonth.ca and that ends February 28th. So I encourage people to uh, submit poetry, visual poetry and things that they don't know necessarily is poetry. So the idea is to transcend the boundaries of what poetry is. Uh, so stay tuned to, for our February episode, another in one, our extra literary thread where we discuss page adja- adjacent aspects of liter- literary, small press and visual poetry subjects. Our next next guest is Joanna Drucker, and I think we're going to be talking more about artist books and also her latest book, Inventing the Alphabet. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Small Machine Talks. The Small Machine Talks.